This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome everyone to the When Eagles Dare review podcast, um, joined by Albert Curley and Samuel Heskiff as always. Are we not previewing it? <laughs> no, it's a review of it because we've watched it. Oh, I thought this was—I thought this was us previewing watching it, like how excited we are to see it because that's what we normally do. <laughs> no, it's it's the review. We're um, we're switching things up a bit. I mean, oh groundbreaking to you it would seem but it was your idea to do this so yeah so we're just gonna just gonna rock through a few episodes i think this this episode here is going to cover parts one through three of the i hope so because <laughs> we've forced albert to watch all three episodes this evening or well, you got through two and three tonight i got through one two and three i literally just finished episode three yeah. um i like to take my time mm all this binge watching nonsense oh, yeah I, I, I was gonna say rip but then did watch one through five back to back uh couldn't just couldn't turn Same. it off i'm Same. also re-watching lost <laughs> at the moment so uh, you know i have to pick and choose carefully what i watch and when i watch it <laughs> um i can't work out which one's more sort of confusing <laughs> <laughs> will the palace one have an actual ending do you reckon well, yeah yeah, a polar bear turned up at one point. But again, I'm such a roller coaster. That that could have been the Crystal Palace one. <laughs> it could have been outside the Sainsbury's. Who knows? Well, um, lost is a good way to start, I guess, because um, that's where Palace were as a club when the documentary oh, gets so off to good. the start. Uh, part one's called Back from the Brink. Now, I've said to you pre-recording, I don't... I don't want to take the piss, but naturally when I take notes on things, I just can't help but look for the funny things. Um, I did thoroughly enjoy this. So if at any points I'm taking the piss out, it seems like I'm taking the piss out of this documentary. I'm, I'm only doing it as a lighthearted kind of thing. But It's all right. The guests probably ain't coming around anyway now, are they? So... <laughs> I say we go in. But it starts, it's kind of like starts giving off the backdrop of Crystal Palace um, Football Club. Albert, they go heavy on the 1861, don't they? Very heavy. <laughs> and since then, it's all got a bit quiet. Heskiff, like, we, we've we binned off the 1861. Do you think this was the, the final cut was done before? 
Yeah, I mean, I remember us talking about the 1861 on here and we're all saying, like, none of us are having it. Do we actually think the club are having it or is it just a, well, I don't think the club are having it. They've dropped it like a, a hot potato. Mm, but it made it into that credit sequence. But, um, yeah, it did amuse me. So you just start with a back, backdrop and then, <laughs> again, it then opens the proper documentary that opens with Steve Parrish in, like, super slow-mo walking down the road and um he's i thought a celebrity master chef <laughs> well my eyes were immediately drawn to the street he was walking down and it was called beak street and if you're on twitter enough <laughs> you know that that's a social media nickname for steve <laughs> so um yeah so that's what I mean. I don't mean to be taking the piss out of it, but I just it's just how my brain works. And that wraps up episode one. Let's quickly go on to episode two and three and get the fuck out of it. Um, but then obviously it goes into, starts heavy on the 2010 admin and um, really on the protest, the, the Bank Holiday Monday one, which took place at Sellers Park Stadium and um, then the following day, which took place outside Lloyd's. Um, Either of you to make this, I don't. Um, I, for me, I was I, I was working back then, and I was I was stuck at work. I met frantically on the Tuesday, doing everything I could from sending out emails, getting people to sign things, and all sorts of stuff. But it's one of my biggest regrets as a Palace fan, that I didn't just get up and walk out the building. To be honest, uh, Heskiff, were you there? I was in uh, I was in America at the time. I was visiting some friends in Minnesota, and I remember, like you, I really wanted to have been there. But I remember because of the time difference going to sleep and I was like, I hope when I wake up, like Palace are all right. You know, I hope I don't wake up and they say liquidated or something. Stay out there, stay out there and be a Minnesota Wild fan forever. Yeah, exactly. There's, yeah. So, yeah, it was, a, obviously I would have been there if I was was in London at the time, but it was it was good to see it. I mean, we've all seen those pictures and videos before, but it does sort of really bring home that it did make a difference and and when you see the people looking at the at the building from the bank you know it, it made a difference and it, it did sort of push us push us a bit further towards safety mm, indeed what about you albert anywhere near it i was in leicester interviewing an iggy pop lookalike but that's another story for another time. <laughs> well, I, I was just pointing up your imdb here to see if um you were working on anything around then but Alas, no. This is this is prior no. to your TV working days. Uh, no, oh, no. I was. No, I was. Sorry, no, forgive me. It's Harry Potter and Deathly Harrow's Part One. Yeah, and you have to you have to remember that those dates on there are the mm. release dates of the film. So yeah, I was I was working on a uh, I was, <laughs> a bit of synergy. I was working on my own documentary at the time. Um, was it about a boy wizard? No, it was about uh, an Iggy Pop lookalike. Thank you very much. And uh, I don't know if Amazon Prime are going to listen into this, you know. But there's a there's a ready made documentary about uh, an Iggy Pop tribute act and other tribute acts um, readily available. But again, I, I mean, it was another story for another time. But you've made me tell it. <laughs> if you're listening, Brian from Leicester. Big up yourself. He's got a lust for life. <laughs> um, yeah, so as I say, I massively just regret not being there that day. But you you kind of got the impression from watching it back, just it struck me how young everyone was. And it kind of told me, you could tell it was a summer holiday because um, a lot of kids there from out of, being out of school and stuff. But um, 
not old enough to have a bank account with Lloyd's. <laughs> yeah. uh, although um, with the outcome with Lloyd's helping to support the club, ultimately, um, maybe everyone did join Lloyd's as a result. Maybe they saw him as a good bank. Uh, so, I mean, the, the, the outcome, obviously, as we all know, is that Lloyd's finally get off their ass. 3,000 fans make them do it. But it was kind of... Um, your, so I want to say your favourite one. It was still the BBS that kind of got them all there, wasn't it, um, Heskiff, with CPFC 2010 starting the old BBS account, which was very briefly mentioned in the documentary. But it was that was kind of a big deal for quite a few years, wasn't it? That that sort of contact with the fans. Yeah, it was. It was. They had they had their own sort of thread for questions and stuff as well. Once they bought bought the club, but I remember because I've been on the BBS for longer than I should have been on the BBS, to be honest. Um, but I remember that account sort of turning up, and what a big, what a big deal that was because you don't sort of get prospective owners going on message boards. It's a bit weird, and then you certainly don't get owners coming on message boards. P like Diddy ninety nine. <laughs> if only. Um, Gaddafi so, underscore sixty nine. So yeah, it was it, it was glossed over a bit, but. I think that sort of did tie in really well with the fan-led sort of support for the club and and the, the the ownership as it was in 2010. So I thought a little bit more would have been made of that, but yeah, it was it was certainly a, a weird time when you think of where we're at now. That having the owner come on and ask questions and say, "Hey, can you give us a bit of support, please?" <laughs> it just yeah, just very odd. Yeah, it was, it's, yeah, it's funny that seeing. Sharon Lacey is um, in the documentary quite a lot. And before we got into the Premier League, um, through through the blog that I used to do and through podcasts and stuff like that, we used to speak to her a lot, um, you know, really trying to find ways we could get money into the club. And then all of a sudden, when we're in the Premier League, <laughs> CPFC 2010 on the BBS was gone. All that contact, all severed. Um, but there you go. Um, <clears throat> so then sort of focus on the consortium coming together, really heavily focusing on... Um, how they're Crystal Palace fans, or they're all from the area. Um, but one of the owners, Albert, sort of um, absent from the whole thing. <laughs> one, one of the four never showing up. Do you, th- do you think that was deliberate? Uh, he might be a bit busy at the moment, uh, hanging out with <laughs> <laughs> prospective London mayor candidates. <laughs> slash assholes uh yeah he wasn't there was he he wasn't there i was hoping for a little word from simon jordan as well but that that never uh that never materialized either i think i think the little word would have begun with a c and rather with fun <laughs> yeah i mean yeah the, when steve Parrish talks about uh we went on there we got on the airplane to go to newcastle and we get to newcastle and we were in administration and that's basically like that's the story that's the story of it um yeah I thought that was lost. I thought that was lost. I'm just getting so confused. But um, I, there's a lot more to that story than that just one simple sentence where Parrish seems to suggest knowing nothing about the club going into administration. I um, wonder if all those stories will ever come out. But um, you know, stuff I've heard through the grapevine is, you know, I mean, so, well, I don't even think it's through the grapevine. I think Simon Jordan has explicitly said that he thinks Parrish pushed us into administration. So. He has said a lot of things, yeah, Simon true. Jordan. Yeah. Such as I own the ground. 
which yeah we very clearly found out that we... got that got that got a mention as well didn't it yeah, yeah. absolutely did yeah um was it uh rock investments owned it then it went to h boss and then they the uh what was it the crash the financial crash put paid to them so lawyers bought it so that was why we ended up you know in the outside lawyers in the first place because they bought it for 12 million and understandably probably didn't want to sell it back to us for 3 million so uh but yeah but it's the four come together and that's um steve browett who naturally just comes across great in all the episodes i think i love steve browett anytime you ever see him he's always got time to talk to you and he's just you know a genuine palace fan south london boy and um yeah all round top geezer um martin long and uh hoskins come together make the deal on a handshake um steve, steve harris talks a lot about um the trust that went into it that they just basically put his name to it as all uh, with with no money actually there but um then they get into the footballing world and it's kind of like you, you start to realise the importance that Mark Bright's play, played in all of this. And, you know, he comes in for a lot of stick on social media for being um, him and Steve Parrish being together all the time and always next to him and stuff. But, um, Albert, you get the impression that he helped Steve a lot, in the particularly in the early years, not just doing stuff for free around the training ground, which by all um, the sounds of it was completely empty and bereft of staff for most of it, but um, just sort of helping him to understand the business of football. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it was it was stuff like that that you know the the, the four guys that come in and Parish particularly you know are, are certainly experts in their field, and that's how they've you know got the got the money to then step up and and save the football club, um, which you know to this day everyone's like, oh, we need to move move past that, you know, whatever, you know, it's ten years ago, whatever, but you know, you can't you really can't take away the significance of that. And, and it must have been daunting because, you know, we're all fans. I haven't I haven't got, uh, you know, five million quid to chuck into a pot to buy a football club, let alone one that I love. And it must be hard going in and being, okay, you can run a business, but as as, as Parrish mentioned several times throughout the, the documentary, you know, it's, 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 like, it's like no other business. Um, and, I mean, to this day, there must still be a massive part of, head over heart and you know what you want to see as a fan and what you need to do as an owner to kind of to make sure it all everything's balanced and yeah so when you when you see things like you know Mark Bright coming in and, and helping steer that and you know and, and again Dougie at, at, at a point as well you know it's like it, it must it must have been valuable or invaluable um for them at that time mm. mate if you stopped building wings on your house you might be able to afford to five million <laughs> nah, <you're not. laughs> um sort of then brushes over george burley coming in and not lasting very long and um they kind of draw the correlation between jason punch and scoring a hat-trick for mill against us um and kind of play it off as him playing an important role before he ever got to the club <laughs> um but what I, I found amusing right was steve browett reliving it and just saying i just in the director's box, I glanced to my left and Steve Parrish was just scribbling away and he was like, oh, I guess we're getting a new manager. And he's still like, he felt like, even though he owned the club, it kind of got, you got the impression that he was like a fan that was finding out something before everyone else and he was absolutely buzzing. <laughs> he was finding it out. Um, but then you get you quite get quite interesting inside that Eddie Howe was actually in the building, um, which uh, I, I knew we'd, we'd obviously spoke to him, but the fact that he was at the, actually at the training ground and... Um, What's his name? Uh, is it Scott Scott Guyer, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, he's yeah. um 
he's obviously knows Eddie Howe personally from their time at Bournemouth together. <laughs> he's saying Eddie Howe pokes his head around the door and we're, we just look at each other like, oh, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, shit, I didn't know you <laughs> kind of scenario. But he kind of Paris sort of misremembers a bit by saying, you know, I woke up the next day and he'd joined Burnley, which is not quite how it happened. Um, if you remember that thoroughfare outside Burnley's ground, uh, Eddie Howe came out and actually did a... Uh, an address to the press saying that I'm staying at I'm staying at Bournemouth. I've decided to stay at Bournemouth and I won't be going to Palace. And then it was about three weeks later was when he ended up at Burnley. Um, but then you hear um, <clears throat> you sort of get a lot Albert from Dougie Friedman about how he went and really really fought for the job really and put his case on the line why he feels like he should have the job and ultimately that's why he ended up getting it. Yeah, and I, I think we sort of. We touched on it when we spoke to Dougie. Christ, how long ago was that? I know we sixteen, I think it was. Yeah. Jesus. Um, and again, like got got passion for the club. And I mean, there's been many ups and downs since then. But you know, and I know, I know you get swept up swept up in it. But you know, in the, in the documentary, they show you the Stockport goal, and you know, he's, he's still he still talks passionately about the club. And and again, as a you're, you're Steve Parish. Lifelong Palace fan, you know, we'll we'll remember Stockport, you know, amongst the other sort of great Freeman moments. And when he comes, when a club legend's banging on your door saying, "I want to, I want to," you know, give me the job, give me a chance. Again, as a as a as a fan, you want to. That's what we all really want to see, don't we? We we want to see club legends do well, and 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 take the club forward. Um, so yeah, it just it just brings all that home, really. You know, it's it 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 must be. It must be difficult to 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 balance that that head over heart fan ver, uh, owner versus fan and and Freeman coming in and, and making the case. You know, it, it was you know again it, it 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 bore good fruit. You know, essentially, and it is it is a, a uh, it is a paving slab on the pathway to where to where we are now. And we've we've come very far, but we've, you know we have to we have to tip the hat and acknowledge that several people played a good part in getting us here eventually and and again Freeman Freeman's one of them well Steve Browie actually mentions about being starstruck the first time he meets Dougie Friedman and it, was, it did amuse me because then the documentary showed a picture of um obviously his early time in the club and he's standing with Gareth Taylor um friend of the pod uh Cole <laughs> Davies will be delighted that Gareth Taylor gets a mention <laughs> but yeah it's like will you get would you get starstruck by Gareth Taylor highly highly doubt it um so at this point we've now got four Palace fans as the owners. We've got um, club legend Dougie Freeman at the helm. We've got li- Little Wilf and Little Johnny Williams coming through. I'll put it here. I mean, the, the pictures were just so cute. I mean, it seems, just looking back at the pictures of Johnny Williams that they were putting up, it seems astonishing that he was playing football with men, to be honest. He just looked like an, <laughs> looked like a 12-year-old. But um... <clears throat> no, Not he kept breaking. <laughs> um I did. I did have a chuckle. Thirty-five. It took him thirty-five minutes to use the phrase "catchment area." Heskiff. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was. I was very amused. Uh, it took, I was surprised it took that long, to be honest. But um, yeah. So then they just you talk about just surviving the end of that season, going to eleven, twelve, and again, it's it's kind of brushed over here. They talk. They talk about Par, KG, and Garvin coming in. Jed Nack and Murray, and his first time melee and. Um, uh, Murray are introduced to the pod now. 
Heskiff, I don't know if it's just just me, but when Melee came on with that resplendent beard and nice haircut and that very lush looking white shirt, um, oh, it was tasty, weren't he? As straight men, I think we we all looked at him in the same way, didn't we? It is not just you, <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, the the collective intake of breath in my household when we were watching it from both me and Vanessa <laughs> uh, was yeah. Talk about synergy. Um, it was. It, it is. I mean, you obviously we remember how great he was and how much we love him. But when you see him like that, same with Murray as well. Like when when they first appear on screen, you're just like, oh god, I love him. When Jules turns up in in some back garden or whatever he is, you're just like, oh, I love Jules. Then you see Jedi. Oh, I love Jedi. Mm. It's just, yeah. It was. It was a great. Even if even if Jedi hadn't said anything, just striding to his seat and sitting down. That's enough, mate. That's all you need to do for right, now. Mate, after five years of marriage, I'm glad you and Vanessa are collectively gasping together still. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing, Albert, that I did get is from Murray was Dougie kind of negged him into joining the club. Um, we talked about him going to watch him at Dagnan Redbridge and tells him you weren't re- you weren't really that good today, but you, you, you grabbed the goal and that's what I want you to come to Palace to do. You're a bit of a you you you're a bit of a non-league player still, but you can come and learn about Palace. You slapdash at your accountancy, <laughs> but all, all, but but uh, but again, I'm sure I'm sure Freeman talked about that in our interview. You know, he sort of he, yeah, he said how he kind of put him down and almost like threw the gauntlet down and was like, mm. you know, you come here come here to prove yourself and yeah, shrewd signing, but yeah. I have to say, I have to say, like I'm, I'm fully on board with the melee sentiment that you two have expressed. I feel that I might be at the back of the line. <laughs> um, an image, <laughs> um, but uh, it's only when you go back and you see uh, like pictures and footage of melee when he didn't have the beard. I know, I know, a beard obviously transforms someone's face, Terence. Um, ask if you as well, but I've never seen someone look so completely different with and without the beard like it's not he's not i've got no flutters looking at him in the old pictures it's like it's too complete like a fine wine i think it might have more been um alan lee rearranging his face (laughs) up at huddersfield yeah um and that's where the documentary moves next into the 12 13 season at the start and um introduced uh peter ramage joins the joins the cast at this moment um a very cagey Peter Ramage doesn't uncross his arms for the entire thing <laughs> up to episode three. I don't know if he loosens up in four and five, but we friend of the show, Peter Ramage, spoiler, mate. obviously not as comfortable as he is talking to this show. He looked, he looked very guarded for all yeah. of it. R- Rumours has it that he's crossing his arms as he speaks to FYP right now. So <laughs> Fucking tank, tank <laughs> Um We get introduced to Joel Ward for the first time as well. Um, Never really realised how close he was to coming to Leeds. You know, talk about a sliding doors moment with Leeds deciding we, you know, uh, we'll get it all done in a couple of weeks, and he goes for the surety over um, the potential of a deal might be in there, might be being there in a couple of weeks. And then it's the the start of the twelve thirteen season where it doesn't quite get off to um, what we expected. Lose the first two games. Horrible defeat at Bristol City. Um, we know all about those, Albert. <laughs> talking of talking of car journeys back from yeah. Bristol. So yeah, so then we have the you know the infamous car park exchange where you've got 
Friedman, um, not no Friedman's not there. Sorry, it's Parish, Brighty, Neil Ashton, uh, the journalist. Um, you know, a couple of the other owners um, discussing about where things are going and how how things have gone badly. And you kind of get the um, you know, Steve Parish talks about maybe I said no too much in the summer and so on. And again, it's Mark Bright plays a massively key moment here in the in the history of Crystal Palace Football Club by sitting in the car with Parish on the way home and sort of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing, um, but there are some holes in the squad. And if um, if we fill those holes, I feel like there's a good side there. And um, I think it sort of made Parish realise that, you know, it's done some self-reflecting and realise, oh, actually, maybe it is it's me here. So get into a meeting, um, which was a tense one by all means, but Friedman ends up coming out with... Uh, Cool. Who's he come out? He comes out with four players. And he Andre, he comes out with Andre Moritz. He comes out with Danny Gabadon. Comes out with help. Help me out with the other ones. I was say I was saving Balassi yeah. for last. <laughs> Yannick Balassi and Damien Delaney. Um, which you know we needed a centre back. Um, we got to, we got two with Paddy McCarthy getting injured. It was clear we needed someone a bit more creative in the middle of the park, and we needed someone to complement Zaha. And um, you know. That's when we basically move into part two of the documentary now in this uh, titled Dougie's Team. And um, if Blassi comes on the screen and it's just, it's just immediately infectious with his smile and he's, he's just general persona. Yeah, it's always good to hear Yala talk. Um, and like Not you say, <laughs> smiling. <laughs> don't, don't know if I prefer him rapping to speaking, but... Um, I like there was a bit where he said, you know, once once he heard of the of the interest, he said to his agent, I don't care about finances. You get me there and I'll prove to him, like I'll show him what I can do, um, which is, you know, a great attitude to have. Uh, and coming in and getting an assist about 30 seconds into your debut is a pretty good <laughs> way of sort of stepping on the scene, you know. But one thing that I did... Um, think when Dougie was basically like, you know, I knew we were, if I got these players in, we'd, we'd be able to push for promotion. And I was thinking, well, you're a better man than I, because nothing that I saw in that, in the year before made me think we were anywhere near the promotion places. Well, before before so, the Sheffield Wednesday game, it was three wins in 23 in the league. Yeah. And I mean, we were, we were playing some pretty, pretty dire stuff. They, they had the, uh, the highlight of Everson scoring a goal, I think it was against it Preston was. or something. Massive, like massive goal. And I just remember, I was like, how big a goal that was, um, because the season had been so. It was just, it was just pretty dull, mm. wasn't it? Um, so fair play, to Dougie, for having the confidence to say, if you get me these players, I can turn it around to that extent. Because I never would have thought that. Yeah, you know, even <clears throat> no, definitely, it was, it was, um, it was a big struggle, but uh, Belassi not caring about finances. Seems like Bristol City didn't either, Albert. I think it was in total we ended up paying circa 125 grand for him. It's mental. Mm. What, what a signing. Yeah, and, and, off the back, and off the back of like getting turned over by him as well. You know, like Freeman says he goes into the goes into the office and, and they said they almost felt sorry for him and like yeah. knocked a bit off. It's like, well, that's... <laughs> More for them, you know. It was, it was a great sign for us. And yeah, I mean, Heskiff said it like 
just just watching Balassi talk about his time at Palace, it really. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of them that you watch those interviews and your sort of heart swells a little bit. Um, uh, and I mean the heart, unlike you boys watching <laughs> melee. Um, but yeah, watching watching Balassi talk, just the, the the sort of the the measured excitement that he talks about, and his his whole face lights up, and it's yeah, like what and. And I, I, I knew it was good at the time, and I knew I, I didn't. I certainly didn't have a lack of appreciation back then. But it's only now that you sort of look back and you think, yeah, that was, you know, when that clicked, when it was Zaha and Balassi and and you know Murray, obviously, and everyone. It was a great team. Um, but when when that clicked, you know, what what a joy, you know, what an absolute joy to to witness. Yeah, that. I just felt like it was a shame they didn't have. Balassi and Zaha are in the same room as well because I, I think that could have been great. Yeah, something that could happen in the future, definitely. You could get them talking about our time at Palace together. Be brilliant. I think they did something similar with Wright and Bright um, a few years back, don't know. On the centenary, on the centenary DVD. Yeah, that's right. I love it because you you watch that and it's obviously filmed over a few hours and you just see every time it cuts back, Ian Wright's Guinness is like <laughs> doing that, like going down. And there's just the same pint of orange juice on the table for Mark Bryant. <laughs> yeah. Um, you just get some great funny quotes happening here now. You you, you know, you get Ramage talking about you know, Balassi turning up and started doing tricks and nutmegs and Zaha's doing the same. And he's like, just about, I, I just want to kick him on two foot. Two foot him. I'm sure <laughs> Dougie would have been delighted if they did that. Um, some fantastic footage as well. Of, it um, shows uh, Balassi's run for Gal's goal against Liverpool, but it shows it from the view of the homestead. I'd never seen that footage before. It was amazing. Yeah, like brilliant. It was a brilliant highlight. Yeah. That. And then we get Damo introduced for the first time and... Um, Albert, I just, I, lo- I love watching Damo speak because he's such a, you know, a big, big guy, hard man, but his vulnerability is just there to be seen. And I just felt the whole way through the, the, the entire series, he's just, you see him talking about it and you, you get this impression of such a confident man. He's all, you know, he turns up and then they talk about three weeks later, he's saying, you know, he's brought the whole team to Dougie Freeman saying, we, we, we should get promoted. This team should get promoted. That's what I expect to be. But there's just such a vulnerability about him. I, d- I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah, it's weird because there was the and skipping skipping forward in documentary terms. You know, there's the the fa- the famous clip of you know him and Ramage after the the uh, playoff final where he's you know he's, he seems to be almost in distress mm. at the fact that we've we've gone up. So there's always been. There's always been a bit of vulnerability there, and and we know we've we've seen him, you know, we've seen him like lose his head in in football games, and he's he, you know he clearly wears his heart on his sleeve, and and again the way he, the way he celebrates goals, the way he, you know another standout moment, you know where he um it was at the Medeski when he really got involved to sort of help protect Wilf, like seems to be holding off like four or five Reading players, like he's he's clearly a like a, a a deeply passionate guy but again yeah the way the way he talks he's not he's not some like strapping he's not putting up a front mm. or trying to put on any sort of hard man even though he clearly is like he's not trying to put on some sort of hard man like exterior and, and the ca- the camera loves Damien Delaney I don't know if you've noticed there's there's like one <laughs> shot there's one shot they got their money's worth they got their money's worth for that yeah that <laughs> 
I reckon it's about twenty. That's but you could, if you cut all those shots, it's about twenty minutes of footage. Do you know what? What, what really <laughs> got me about it as well, though, is there's a bottle of like every underwater in the background, just there, just like ruins the shot completely. Once I noticed it, I couldn't unnotice it. <laughs> it's product placement. <laughs> that's that's the thing with Damo as well. It's like you know, like you say, he he when he came to Palace, he was at such a low ebb. We all know that he was thinking about like packing it in and going to America. And he said, you know, I was just going to come for three months because that's what I was offered and that would be that. When we were watching it, Vanessa was like, it's weird to think that he went from that when he first came in to the guy who was basically like mugging off Diego Costa, left, right and centre at Stamford Bridge. Um, but the one thing that I really did like with with Damo was when he talked about uh, that game against Sheffield Wednesday that we won. And he said, you know, when he came into the club, even though it was the day before the game, there was a really good vibe and that sort of helped make his decision. And after the game, he went into the change room and everyone was going absolutely crazy. And he said it was like we'd won the Champions League, but we'd won a game of football. And he was like, it had been ages since I won a game of football. It was ages since Palace had won a game of football. And it just like everything came together and I realised what a great set of players, what a great team we had here. And that seems to that seems to carry on throughout the season, doesn't it? That that sort of narrative of what a great it might be a band of misfits, but they come together to such a such a good level that it pushes them through even the the hard times, which we'll come on to speak yeah, about. Yeah, so you've already said the word Albert clicks is what they all start saying. It, it comes out of about five of their mouths, I think. So it all just clicked after that Sheffield Wednesday game, and then we. We get into this unbelievable run, um, unbeaten run. <clears throat> um, KG's volley at Charlton, um, like you seeing all, all the players expressing their disbelief. That he, I think Rambo calls it a ridiculous volley. Um, yeah, Zaha's waxing lyrical about it as well. Um, <clears throat> we come back from 2 0 down against Cardiff at, at Sellers to win 3 2 with a Glenn Murray hat trick. Uh, a few weeks later, we repeat the feat at Sellers, come back from 2 0 down against Burnley. I think it. Um, I remember at the time. I can't. Excuse me if someone goes and looks this up. My stats slightly off, but I think it was something like forty years since we'd come back from two 0 down at Sellers to win a game, and then we did it twice in a couple of weeks. And but it was just on both occasions in both games we two 0 down, and it just didn't feel like we were out of the game. You know, it just both time or both times it was like we're going to come back and win this, and then you know we went and got a brilliant result at Bolton, um, and then Albert will. The Wolves away one is always one that stands out where, um, you know, Damien Delaney slipped and let Ebanks Blake in to put them 1-0 up. And once again, it was just the character in the team. You know, Damo was immediately picked up and like pulled to his feet and everyone was supporting him. And then Zaha just goes and scores those two ridiculous goals down the other end and uh, continues to run. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around, to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. 
If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Absolutely. I mean, um, that's the that's the thing. There's so many there's so many games that I've just forgotten, you know, over the years, and it's, I'm watching back. And I'm, I remember the I remember the Sheffield Wednesday one when they were interviewing Delaney, and then it's the Sheffield Wednesday game, and I and instantly I remember, oh yeah, I remember this game, <laughs> and because uh, I got I got I got an old good mate who's a who's a Wednesday fan, and we went and and yeah, I just remember like oh yeah, the centre half that we signed mm. like merely 24 hours ago, and he was just like class above he was just unbelievable and it just went on and on and on and you know again i remember having like like qpr mates it's like like who like what have you done to him like who, who is it? like he was toilet with us like just they just couldn't believe that he would just turn into this absolute rolls royce of a defender it's just brilliant mm. but yeah there's just like and seeing zaha again that wolves game like obviously he's, he's the you know he's the same player today but he's just a different player today and just seeing how Looks so young, and just seeing how like raw is the wrong word because it, it's it's not he's not raw because he's still doing he's still trying to do the same stuff that he does now you know and albeit probably a tiny bit quicker but just just seeing that again it was just it's just so nice it's just so nice to see it because there's so there's so many moments that you sort of forget and it's oh yeah well, we, we we were quite good back then weren't we yeah like, I think as well uh, with, with Wilf it's because we'd been not great for for a little while beforehand and he sort of burst on the scene and was still like a new excitement for us and he did and and his thing was taking players on wasn't it that's what he was good at he, and especially in the championship he you know get past three or four players quite easy it was so exciting and then yellow coming in and doing basically the same foot on the other side and Jules said in the documentary, he just said, "You know, if you're an opposition, I wouldn't want to be an opposition player because it's like, how are you supposed to stop them? Those two are Murray in the middle. Like, how are you supposed to put a, put a stop to them? It's basically impossible." Mm-hmm. And you just get on the back of all this, you've got all the players talking about how it's the best changing room they've ever been a part of at this time, and it just seems even more ludicrous that we get to this point now that Bolton come in and. Um, well, we all know what happens then. Dougie Freeman decides to go up north. Quite kind of funny because Dougie Freeman says on the documentary, I didn't know what I had, but um, about eight minutes earlier in the episode, he's saying that before he went into that meeting with uh, Freeman, uh, with Parrish to ask for four more players, he knew exactly what he had. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, didn't know what he had. And, you know, Steve Parrish is there saying maybe looking back, he could have done more. And, um, you know, it kind of just feels like it's just a massive breakdown in communication, really. Um, and before Parrish even, I think he refers to it as a runaway train. Um, and it's just all over. And then you know, fans are, fans end up saying you know falling on two sides it's either Parrish's fault or it's Freeman's fault but you know just watching back this just in the context of the documentary Albert it's it's it just seems even more ludicrous that he left I know living it at a time and everything felt great and you know I think Parrish says it brilliantly when he says um you know every, everyone wants you to succeed Dougie like you know you've got everything here that you could want it just, the way they frame it in the documentary just really captures how ludicrous it was. Yeah, and and 
again not harping on about it but when we spoke when we spoke to Friedman about it on the pod it's you know he, he explains it and and he explains it again in the documentary and you like yeah it's still still never really made sense and I don't know you know I'm not trying to create a conspiracy I don't know if there's something that no one's talking about but it just it just seems so mad mm. so like all right he says that Bolton just come down from the Premier League they've been in the Premier League for a while so they probably had they were sitting on a you know bigger pot of cash than than we were but it was like he built that team essentially from the ground up you know starting with being a you know assistant to Paul Hart and working with the kids and yeah it just still it's still to this day still just feels completely bizarre and i remember and i remember at the time when it because it kind of dragged on for a few days in the press didn't it and and it like with every sort of hour that it went on it seemed more and more inevitable it was going to happen but still couldn't believe it i remember being like well if you can't if you can't expect a club legend to stick around when you're like challenging at the top of the league like what 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 can you what can you have in football and i remember being so despondent um yeah, so like see, seeing them go through that again, yeah, it kind of brought back old scars. I remember at the time uh, I was working as a temp at a university and basically didn't want to do any work because I just wanted to like chat to my mates and see what was going on with Freeman. I suppose Twitter wasn't quite as prevalent as it is now. Refreshing but, uh, news now. <laughs> yeah, news now, F5 in the BBS. But it's like I also really want to do well here so they give me a permanent job so I'm not a temp working off hourly rates. Uh, and I was talking to my mate, Dan Cooper, and he was he could not believe, like like you were saying, Albert, he just could not believe this was going to happen. Like, why the, like, why on earth would you go to Bolton? It doesn't make any sense. And me and him must have been on the phone for about four hours. As soon as I left work, I, get, I rang him and I was on the train, I was talking to him, walking home, I was talking to him, got back to my flat, I was talking to him. And at the end, he was like, "He can't, can he? He's not going to do it." And by the end of by the end of the call, it was like, "I can't believe he's doing it." <laughs> What's it? Like we were so gutted. Mm. And I think it was also a little bit of policy, like you know, like when Bruce left us when we were top of the league. It's like we're finally good again, and now you're leaving. It's just like, can we just have a season of being good for a season? Yeah, we've got to be the only team in the history that's twice had to. Put a new manager in place when you're challenging for the top for challenging for the title, <laughs> which it just never happens. Um, they refer to that in the documentary, so it just, ne- it just never happens. Um, and you, you say, I mean, there's quite a couple of classic bits of there. Wilf just sitting on his chair, going, "Just he left us, like he just he left, he left <laughs> us." I can't believe it. And um, Mark Bright saying, um, you know, Steve Parish phoned said, "I'm looking for a new manager, mate." And he was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, he's going bowling." What? He's going. Bowen, what? Just yeah, just made made zero sense. But um, you know, Freeman again. He he talks about it a lot. And when um, yeah, you just have to go back and listen to our pod. Look in our recent socials. It, the, we re-released the pod from 2016 recently. Um, and Freeman said it a lot there. He says it on this tarnished tarnished myself. Um, knew and made the wrong decision immediately. I think doesn't say it in the documentary but i think on the podcast he mentions that he was crying in the car on the way up to bolton like it just kind of knew in the car so and again it all it all he'd left his wallet <laughs> he'd left his wallet at the train it, it does all like it does all ring like that, that there's something just underneath the surface that we don't know about there was there's something something there that's there's a missing piece to this jigsaw puzzle which um considering this whole documentary is 
based around piecing together a jigsaw puzzle. Um, we're, miss- we're missing a key piece, it would seem. What? Just whilst we're on the subject of Dougie, where's he sitting when they're doing the interview? He's he's in um, uh, the 2010 lounge, I think. But he's not on a chair. He's like he's he's like he, he's all the chairs have been cleared, and he's like at, at, he's had to perch on a no, step. I think he's sitting on the <laughs> arm of a bench. So there is a bench under his feet. So you see it really early in the in episode one. You see his legs up on a bench, like a cushioned bench, and he's sitting on the arm of it. God, God knows why. <laughs> I reckon it's pennant. Like, you can have you sitting in a in a chair, mate, if you want. Everyone else is doing it. No, I deserve this. I'm going to kneel on the corner of a bench. So we have to forgive him because I can't think comfortable. Sorry to, sorry to bring the set into the conversation, but I just can't help it. What would you have done differently? Uh, I'd have, yeah, I like, the, I like Sam sort of, Penance idea. I'd have mainly had him lying on a bed of nails. There we go. Yeah. So this moves us into part three, uh, just titled "Episode Ollie," um, and this is kind of where the the documentary really comes from. Um, you, you you get this understanding. What they don't, I don't think they mention it in the documentary, but I've read an article on the Palace site since where. The documentary is made by effectively a guy who works for Steve Parrish's company called Smoke and Mirrors, um, which I've always found to be an interesting name for a subsidiary, which some of Palace's money goes through. Uh, seems very, very shady. Um, but yeah, he works there. He, you know, approaches Steve Parrish and says, "Look, can I come and do a one-off interview with you? We want to make a sports, just you know, an, a sports interview, effectively." And they go there, and uh, it just so happens to be the day that Ian Holloway first turns up at Sellers Park for, um, I think it's the Blackburn game, isn't it, when he's in the stands? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they just decide they, you know, see the footage and think, you know, we we can we should follow Holloway's journey here, and that's basically where the documentary is born out of. Um, but then we get, <laughs> so we get a couple of um, decent bits of. Uh, Looking back at it now, it's kind of funny. Sean Dyche is um, one we, we speak to uh, who was out of contract at this point, but then he he goes to Burnley uh, to replace Eddie Howe, who chose effectively <laughs> to go to Burnley over us. Um, but you also get Ian Holloway uh, actually decided to join Ipswich over us. And um, at this point, we get some really shoddy Bristonian accents. Ask if. <laughs> I actually had I actually had no idea about that. I think that's the first time I've ever heard that the Ipswich story. Mm. But the, what what did you make of Steve Parrish's accent? Well, <laughs> I thought I, I, I was going to set myself up and say I reckon I can do a decent Brazilian accent, but I'm not going <laughs> to. So I don't, I don't think I can slag him off too much. <laughs> um, I like to say I, I don't want you to think like you're the last girl on the dance floor. <laughs> I did, um I wanted to come here, but he was just offering me so much money I couldn't um <laughs> couldn't turn it down. But of course they go for Mick McCarthy, so Holloway comes comes through the door and he's he's on the bench, not at the he's on the bench, he's in the stands um, after spending the night with Steve Browett. Uh and now that Blackburn game, Heskiff, I don't know how much you remember of it, but I I, I just remember it being an amazing performance. So so yeah. much so that I was moved to go and wait outside where the players come out after 
to tell Mule Yednak just how fucking amazing I thought he was. And I, I pinned him for about three minutes, just telling him how it's one of the best performance solo, like individual performances I've ever seen. <laughs> he took it very, just a real he took it very well. <laughs> a, real, a real shame that didn't make the cut, to be honest. I'd like to see. Yeah. Um, I, 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 do, I do remember that game because just before it, we'd beaten Leicester away, where I think they talked about basically the players were managing themselves. And that was a, that was a brilliant performance. Um, a great away day. But yeah, that Blackburn game, we just absolutely, it might only have been 2-0, but I just remember us absolutely annihilating them. And you must be thinking, if you're Holloway, like, what what have I managed to, like, stumble onto here? Um, you know, you're not, you're not, usually if you're coming in mid-season, it's because the team's, you know, shooting down the table. And yet he's seeing this team basically just batter everyone in front of us. So um, yeah, I mean, I think he uh, he lucked out a little bit there. Well, do you remember what he said when he came on the pitch at half time? Go on. And I'm, I am not going to do the accent. <laughs> here, he said, "Yeah, here, boy." He said, um, "He said something like, how good are this lot talking about the the team?'" And then he said, "He said something. And this isn't verbatim. He said something along the lines of, 'I haven't got a, I haven't got to change anything.'" <laughs> <laughs> how good are this lot? I ain't got to change anything and then episode three it's all about how we try to change everything well I think uh, yeah I think initially just made some slight tweaks which did make us much better and you know his first game in charge we win 5-0 against Ipswich at home we absolutely smashed them off the park and now we know of course that you know McCarthy had got the job over him at Ipswich so for him then to immediately just absolutely hammer Mick McCarthy into oblivion is quite it's quite amusing and must have had the um the Ipswich owners sitting on the side going oh shit what have we done what have we done here <laughs> uh, in another world they end up with Holloway and we end up with Mick McCarthy somehow I guess but um there you go um and then we get into the, you know we, we fly for a bunch of games but I just briefly want to touch on Peterborough away Heskey if we've we've droned oh. on enough about this game but uh which just one of the greatest past way days. We were obviously top of the league when we beat Ipswich 5-0, but with the way results were going when we were playing Peterborough, um, it meant we needed to win the game to stay top. And that was just, what what an atmosphere that day. It was the best. I mean, certainly top five away games I've ever been to. You wouldn't think it Peterborough away, but like being on the terrace, getting two late goals, both both good goals as well. But I just remember the KG one where Wilf's obviously sprinting out from their corner and you just see KG thundering down the pitch, like absolutely hammering it down the pitch. Great finish. And then everyone just, you know, I don't really remember what happened after that because I ended up about 20 rows mm. further forward, I think, by the well, end of it. No, no rows as it was then because it was terrorist, wasn't it? So, yeah, yeah. That's probably um, what added to it, the brilliance of it. <clears throat> Definitely didn't end up with all my mates who were scattered about, you know, halfway across the the stand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I w- watching highlights of that that period, that sort of month of the season, will never get will never get old because we were just so good. We were so fun to watch. Yeah, and there's nothing quite like singing "We're Crystal Palace, We're Top of the League." It was it was <laughs> beautiful. Not many times in uh, for me, I I just missed '94 season. I started going in '95, '96. So when we, you know, um, the '92 was it '92, '93? We won the championship '93, '94, '93, '94. Yeah, yeah. I, I missed that. So <laughs> for me, it was like one of the first times I actually got to sing that. 
Turned up when we were champions, eh? No, two seasons later. I t- my my first season was the season after we got relegated from the Premier League. So, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first season I saw. My first actual game was when we beat Arsenal at Highbury 2-1. But we've talked about that enough in the past as well. But um, <laughs> getting interested about KG. KG never spoke much. You could go months without speaking to him. And then he'd come out with something really poignant, Albert. What, what do you reckon? Uh, being being friends with KG on Facebook, I find it hard to believe that he comes out of anything poignant, to be honest. <laughs> like Vinny Jones in Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> um, uh, well, I, sorry, did you say you're friends with KG on Facebook? Yeah, like he just went through this phase of just like accepting loads of Palace fans. But now he's like, his Facebook is just unreal. It's just really, really inappropriate memes all the, all of the time. Oh my goodness. Um, well, there you go. Doesn't say a lot, but comes out with stuff of poignance. <laughs> uh, indeed. Um, it does at one point there. And again, they're talking a lot about, you know, how all together the club is. And they talk about that for the Christmas uh, party, they go to Paddy McCarthy's hometown and you get a, a lovely picture, Albert, of KG and Johnny Esther in Christmas jumpers and Christmas hats. KG and some small boy. <laughs> Are you talking about his Facebook memes? <laughs> and um, and obviously at this point, this is when um, Wilfred Zaha signs for your missus's team, Albert. Um, what what was the banter like in the house back then? Uh, I can't. It was. Never... <laughs> I can't remember. To be honest, there was. Not, not much talking. In um, <laughs> Carry on. Not like we were married. Um, <laughs> Although he's there, just figuring it out. Like we can see him on the screen here. He's just like, no, no, we were married. I got, I got my days mixed up. Uh, yeah, like Zaha going to United was, um, yeah, it was bittersweet. Again, you don't. They say it in the documentary, you know, when I think it's Brower, you know, he says when a when Alex Ferguson slash Man United come in and want want one of your well probably yeah one of your standout players at the time it's you have to manage it and you don't and at the same time you don't want to deny deny him the chance and and again just talking about Wilf in general you know he 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 still comes in for a lot of unwarranted stick these days and people question his whatever his attitude is whatever but he, the way he talks about the club and you know and he, and he says it was my idea that I wanted to stay um, and finish the season because we you know we'd started something and it and it felt good and it was it would have been great for the you know the area and it's you know you forget it's the, he literally grew up three or four roads away from the ground which they referred to in an earlier episode you know to for him uh, and again uh, still at a young age to, to sort of have that that sort of responsibility and and not just be like see you later I'm going to United all the best sort of thing like just goes to show again another another Palace man through and through um, no matter what no matter what happens no matter if he ever leaves um, just to hear him talk passionately about the club is is heartwarming and uh, yeah at the time it was I, I didn't I don't think anyone did anybody begrudge him the move I didn't certainly when we got got to keep him for the six months. Um, it's weird. It feels weird saying it, but it's, it's, it's a shame it didn't work out better for him because um, it's great for us. Don't get me wrong, but um, 
you know, if if the if the Ferguson retirement is a year later, maybe or eighteen months later, and he gets to develop more under under Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, he 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 might have hit he might have hit closer to Ronaldo levels, you know. You never know. Huge. I've said it a few times. Those sliding doors moments all over the place, aren't they? Here, um, we then get Kevin Phillips come through the door. Um, just uh, a ravishing haircut. I could like. With this yes hair, the smashing. New, new <laughs> I mean, is that is he has he gone to Turkey or is um is that just he's always just had the hair? He just didn't grow it. It was um, but yeah, and then uh, you know scores a cracking goal at Watford. We have a slight blip where over the Christmas period we we don't really pick up some we get some poor results. I think we lose at Cardiff, but we come back for two 0 down at Watford. With Kevin Phillips scored an absolutely astonishing finish at the back post. Um, that was it. That was a really good away yeah, day as well. Was. That one. And then we get then we get back into a really good run of results in the early part of New Year, and particularly um, uh, the middles. The middles were a win at home. I think we beat them four one at home. Zaha was just outstanding that day. Glenn Murray scoring from twenty five yards of his left peg. Um, you know, to Hull at home, you know, just really you know putting a putting away teams that are challenging at the top of the division, like scoring four past them, um, just became a feature. And then Glenn Murray. Nicks onto the thirty goals mark, but then it all <laughs> it all goes horribly wrong, and it starts Heskiff with uh, St Patrick's Day at Brighton. Oh, I was in the, <laughs> I was in the first row. This is his uh, element. I've thrown this question to Heskiff because he just he, he yeah, really yeah. loved that day. <laughs> Obviously, this is my favourite bit of the documentary. Uh, I was in the fir- I was in the first row, and it was pouring with rain. I got absolutely drenched. We were pretty near. The, like the, the corners who were near the Brighton fans, I was just it was just a it was just a miserable day all in. I was really. I want to see an Amazon Prime documentary about this, this specifically. Why was nobody following you with a camera? I know it would have. I think ninety nine percent would have been censored or bleeped. Uh, I was really. I remember being really pissed off on the train home because Holloway said, I can't remember what he said, but he said something that made me think he didn't take it as seriously or what, and obviously. We know how it turns out, so it, it's all water under the bridge. But yeah, I was really annoyed. And what it's he, not though, is it? It's not though. But the sounds of it. Here's the thing: what what really pissed me off was I. We had a photo, and that they had a picture of the seagull mascot, whatever it's called. And I was doing like a wanker sign to it, not realizing that the angle that my mate was taking the photograph, the, the photo, it looks like I'm wanking off <laughs> a seagull. That just made my day worse. Uh, yeah, I, I mean. Is that, is that on your shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right. At the time, there was a lot of um, Holloway's understanding of the rivalry was really called into question, and he had to get, he come out swinging. Really, and was like started talking about. Right, I don't know about the Palace Brighton rivalry, but I do know about it now. He goes, but trust me, I know enough about the Bristol Rovers Bristol City rivalry to know if that's what it means to you guys. And I understand, and I can sort of transfer that understanding from my, my City Rovers. Um, hatred to, to sort of channel it towards that and of course as you say we all know it ends up but um, it it would have been fine if we bounced back the following game at home to Birmingham Albert but <laughs> oh my goodness that was that was a bad bad evening that was a dark dark I think that was one of the last midweek games I ever went to <laughs> um, yeah was it I, I, again you watch it back and you think oh yeah Christ that was Nathan mm. Redmond and and Ravel Morrison, yeah, 
Um, and yeah, I, I, I did. I did enjoy reminiscing about that 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 bit. I remember that, and that was just that was just grim. I remember coming out of that game. In fact, I think there's even a, there's a there's a post match interview with a fan on the street who's you know just looks pretty shell shocked. And I remember feeling the same at the time. It was like, what is going on? Seven goals, two games, yeah. without any sort of and not. And you couldn't you couldn't say. Oh, it was unlucky, or you know, oh well, you know, we sh- should have got a point really on another day. Like we would, it was, it was just well, dross. Yeah. As Zaha says about the Brighton game, it was like a training exercise for them, and then it was not much different at Birmingham. I think that that fan outside the stadium sums it up greatly. It was just on this form, we're not going to make the playoffs, and um, this is mm. when you start getting, you know, the players talking about having their meetings behind Holloway's back, and Steve Parrish then being involved in said meetings. And you could. S- how do you feel about wow. that? How do I feel about that? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I both Friedman and Holloway as managers at various points talk about. So Friedman mentions he doesn't like that the conversation takes place in the car park. He feels he should have come and talked to him. And Holloway says exactly the same thing. Like he doesn't like mm-hmm. that Steve Parrish is talking to him. But as Holloway says, you know, people have different ways of running things, and they do it different things. And whilst Parrish does seem to have this awareness that I know I probably shouldn't get involved, I think the times he's done it throughout his Palace ownership, he's done it at the right times. And he, he has actually picked the moments out to say, you know, I, I, and in the, for purpose of this documentary, as we're talking about this one, he, he says it was... It was our time. It had to be our time. It got. We all know that if we didn't get promoted that season, we were going to lose Zaha. We were going to. The team was probably going to get dismantled. Um, so it had, it had to be this time. He didn't want to miss that moment. So that that's why he got involved in the conversations. And um, you know, Ian Ian Holloway deep down must understand it because he puts his hand up and says, "Yeah, right, fair enough. I've taken it too far. We'll go back to doing what we do best." And that's basically where this episode ends is where it's, you know, him just you know, saying, yeah, okay, let, let's, let's get back to the Freeman way. <laughs> Even though I think, um, was it Peter Ramage talks about the ghost of Dougie Freeman hanging, hanging over him. Um, and you know, after that, you, it's, not it's, dead. Not, yeah, it's not dead, but um, yeah, it, it feels like Holloway talks a lot about being proud of the job he done at Palace and so on as we'll get into when we um, do another pod on this on episodes four and five. But um, yeah, you, you, you feel like he's still not quite fully comfortable with what went on at Palace around him and he still feels slighted by it all. But um, yeah, so there we are. So the first three episodes, um, Albert, you can you can give us an overview of these because you haven't seen four and five. So me and, <laughs> no spoilers, but me and Heskiff know what, what comes next. But yeah, but, but how are you, how you feeling about them so far? What's your general overview? Yeah, I like it. It's um, it's. I mean, obviously, as a Palace fan, you're you're sort of you're you're well into it, and it, there's some you know really, as we've alluded to, there's you know there's some very welcome faces looking back and looking back at you, and just reminds you that we were lucky to have such you know, such great individuals at the club. And like I say, that, that there is that real band of misfits sort of thing and everybody loves a bit of an underdog story. And yeah, and I think I think it's um I think it's really well put together. Uh yeah, I really enjoyed it. I don't know, I I don't know if I'd 
enjoy it anyway near as much if I wasn't a Palace fan. Which, but I guess that's kind of the the point. It feels it feels on a different level to the big, you know, the big glossy sort of Man City and Tottenham, you know, prime series. Which, you know, the, the Spurs one's good, but the City one's just a big puff piece, you know, for the club. Um, you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a story here and. And, you know, after episode three, we're not even halfway through that story, really. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we know know what happens, know what's going to happen in four and five, but um, don't necessarily know the uh, intricate ins and outs. And, you know, Poogate, surely there's going to be some massive revelations about Poogate. Um, but, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's great. And um, I would recommend, I would recommend non-Palace fans watch it because it's... Um, it's uh yeah I, I think it's it's quite heartwarming you know it's still a, a a a big sort of football story you know we're not we're not talking about some working man's team that are you know like trying to you know make it as professionals they are professional footballers but it's just it's just I think there's a real insight into the mentality of of players and I think you really get an insight into what how how players react when they come up a like certainly unexpected adversity such as your manager that's taking you to the top of the league, walking out on you. you no, know, it is interesting to hear them sort of speak on that. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I think it's, I'm enjoying yeah, it. And I, I get the impression from, you know, the tweets, uh, Heskiff, you've probably seen a few of these as well, in terms of neutrals are appearing to love it as well. I've seen many people say, like you've just alluded to there, Albert, it's much better than the City one, it's better than the Spurs one. It's actually, you know, telling a story, a proper footballing story, which a lot more fans mm-hmm. can relate to. And, um, yeah, it seems it seems to be well taken in by the neutral as well. Yeah, I think you know, proper football fans will like stories about good team spirit and you know, getting the crowd behind the team and all working together and stuff. And obviously, we're biased because we're Palace, but we that was the thing that we loved the most about this team. You know, obviously, the success was great and we did have some flair, but just the way they all sort of backed each other which you could tell by watching them, you know, obviously it's great to hear them talk about it, but you could tell by watching them at the time that the camaraderie and the team spirit was so good. And I think that resonates with a lot of football fans, whether they're Palace or not. Um, so, yeah, it's great to see fans from all over the place saying how much they enjoyed it because I think it's a, a really worthy documentary of watching. Yeah. So next up, we're going to be talking episodes four and five in the next pod. Um now, I don't know how I'm going to do this yet. We're either going to do episodes four and five and then another pod with a couple of special guests or we'll do episodes four and five with a special guest. I don't know which way I don't know which way round it's going to be yet. Um, Albert's looking at me like two more pods. <laughs> but no, so, I mean, I've I've already watched episode four three times and I cried on every occasion, so... Albert, you've got that to look forward to. It's just, you know, if you've enjoyed episodes one through three, four and five are just basically masterpieces in terms of what you'd want from Crystal Palace content. I'll have a box of tissues ready. <laughs> uh, is that because um, Heskiff's got a seagull near him again? Mm. Right. So, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, look out for part two of this. And um, if you haven't watched it yet, what are you doing? Go and go go to Amazon Prime when Eagle's there, which really annoyingly you have to search for. It's not just on any homepage anywhere, which is very frustrating. But yeah, when Eagle's there on Amazon Prime, and um, we'll be back shortly with round two. Cheers.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.